as we're in the ninth of the Ten Commandments series that we're doing. The ninth commandment. We're going to talk about truth and lying today. No lie. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's what we want to share with this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we consider this one verse, we pray that it would have many lessons for us to learn, that we would be those who would uphold the truth and we would hate lies and falsehood. I pray that we might uphold your character and that we would become more and more like the God that we serve. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to consider a statement that I'm going to read to you, written in a book by James Patterson and Peter Kim. They said, Most of us are not the kind of people that others think we are. We aren't even the kind of people that we think we are. In this decade especially, we have set up elaborate facades to prevent others from viewing the real us. That comes from a chapter in a book they recently wrote, and the chapter name is called American Liars. At the end of the chapter, they give us a 20-question test. It's called, Are You True to Yourself? I've made a copy of it, and I'm going to ask these questions. Uh, I will not ask for a show of hands. This is the kind of a test that you take privately in your own heart. But uh, consider these questions. Number one, do you have a private life that you keep secret from others? Two, are there sides of your life that none of your friends know about? Three, the best of cosmetic surgeons offers you a free operation to alter any part of your face or body. Would you accept the offer? Four, you break an expensive vase in an antique store. Nobody sees you do it. Will you tell the owner? Five, do you think that most people know the real you? Six, you are hooked up to a lie detector. Would you agree in advance to answer any question that your spouse or an acquaintance would ask? Seven, do you always stand up for what you believe, no matter what the consequences? Next question, do you think your friends would be surprised if they came to know the real you? Nine, have you ever concealed your true feelings about your spouse? Ten, do you think the things that no one else knows about, do you do things that no one else knows about in the privacy of your home? Eleven, do you socialize with people you really don't like? Twelve, do you sometimes see yourself as a hypocrite or phony? Thirteen, you are losing your hair at a rapid rate. Would you consider wearing a hairpiece or a wig? Fourteen, uh, do you often say things that you don't mean for the sake of politeness? Next, some people cannot disguise their personality for anyone or in any situation. Are you such a person? Seventeen, have you ever lied about your age, your income, or your education? Eighteen, would you tell a very close friend that he or she has bad breath? Now, you just give them a mint, right? Nineteen, have you ever told anyone I love you when you didn't mean it? And twenty, finally, did you lie a little bit on this test? 
If so, don't you think that you'd better take it again? It says, give yourself one point for the following questions. Yes, if you answered yes in questions 4, 5, 6, 7, 15, 16, and 18, you give yourself one point for the following questions. And what they're trying to do is discover how honest you are with yourself. And they will give you the results up against the national results. Three categories. You're honest to yourself. Two, you're a hypocrite. Three, you're a complete phony. So that's the test. The beginning of the same chapter, the authors who penned the test said, the majority of us Americans find it hard to get through a week without lying. One in five can't make it through a single day. And we're talking about conscious, premeditated lies. In fact, the way some people talk about trying to do without lies, you'd think they were smokers trying to get through a day without a cigarette. Among the statistics they cite, more men lie than women. Young men lie more than older men. Unemployed people lie more than those with jobs. The poor lie more than the rich. And liberals lie more than conservatives. I'm not trying to give any statement with that. I'm just telling you their findings. Americans confess lying, number one, mostly to parents. Second on the list we lie most to, friends. Third, brothers and sisters. Toward the end of the list, Americans lie the least to doctors, accountants, clergymen, and last of all, to lawyers. But 42% of those polled believe they have been lied to by lawyers. <laughs> One thing's for sure, there is a credibility gap that is growing more and more in our society the truth seems to be woven together with falsehood in movies, in music, in novels, and people are hard-pressed to find that line of what is true and what is false. All have struggled with it. All have struggled with it. I remember the incidences in my life, I was thinking back this week, when I got caught lying, when the truth found me out, and I tried to cover it up and it didn't work. One was the night I sat down at the dinner table and for the first time ate a delicacy I had never eaten before. I loved it. I said, what is this? this is delicious. And uh, my mom just said, well, just keep eating. And I thought, now, wait a minute. What is it? And uh, finally, my brother nudged me and said, uh, that's sweet bread or cow brains. First time we've ever eaten it. That's what I thought. Oh. I said, you know, I'm full. <laughs> had enough. Uh, thanks for the meal, Mom, but I'm just strangely full. She says, no, you're not. You just don't want to eat it because you heard what they are, but you liked them before you found out. Sit down and eat them. I said, I'm not eating them. My dad said, take your plate, go sit in the garage, and finish eating them. And when you're done, you can come in. I sat out in the garage, thought about my life. <laughs> I took the cow brains and did what only an, a good American kid could do, and that is I put them in my dad's toolbox, closed the lid, walked inside, and I said, I finished them. Your sin can only stay covered so long. Those things begin to smell after a few days, especially when dad opens the toolbox to find his wrench, and lo and behold, cow brains are in there. I got in trouble for that. Then there was the time my parents went to Hawaii on a vacation. They said... Son, if you weed our yard, we'll give you so much money. We negotiated the price. I was in high school then. I could negotiate prices. And uh, I would pull, the deal was, all of the weeds in an acre and a half by hand. 
I had a week to do it. No problem. Especially the price that we agreed on. Day one, day two, day three went by. I hadn't done it. I procrastinated. And finally, I thought, they're coming home in a couple days. How do I get these weeds pulled? I don't want to go work. So I got the lawnmower in the garage, put it at its lowest setting, and I just mowed all the weeds down to the dirt, destroyed the blades on the lawnmower. They got back. It looked perfect. Gave me the money. A week later, the weeds had grown back. And my sin found me out. Got in trouble for that one. Mark Twain said... A lie can make its way halfway around the world before truth has even begun to lace up its shoes. There's a few things about this commandment, though again it's a simple commandment. It's dealing with our relationship with people. The first part of the commandment deals with our relationship to God, the commandments. The last six commandments deal with our relationship on a human plane. There's three things we can infer from this commandment. Number one is the character of God. Any God who would say, you shall not lie or bear false witness, is a God who loves truth and hates lies. That's the character of God. In the scripture, David writes in his journal a psalm called Psalm 51, after he had lied in committing adultery with Bathsheba. He finally acknowledged that God loves truth when he wrote, Oh Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. Jesus had a conversation with the woman of Samaria. And she was arguing our Father's worship on this mountain. You folks say Jerusalem is the only place to hang out with God. And Jesus finally said, Woman, the time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. For the Father is looking for such to worship Him. Spirit and truth. Why does God love the truth? Because that's part of His essential character. He is truth. Moses wrote a song in Deuteronomy, and he recited the stanzas to the children of Israel. One of the stanzas say, He, the Lord, is the rock. His work is perfect, for all of His ways are justice. He is a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. You see, falsehood cannot be tolerated by one whose basic nature is truth and honesty. That's his basic nature. He despises falsehood because his character is truth. It would be sort of like a pianist who's used to finely tuned pianos and melodies and harmonies being forced to sit at a piano that's grossly out of tune and some of the strings are missing. How long could he tolerate the disharmony? Not long. Or a race car driver who's used to souped-up, finely-tuned, high-performance vehicles being forced to drive to the East Coast in an eight-cylinder engine and only four cylinders are working. It's just chugging along. God's basic fabric of character is truth. And so He loves truth and He hates falsehood. The Scripture says that out and out. In... Uh, the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren is one of the seven things that God hates. Seven things that God hates. In our verse, verse 16, the word false is a Hebrew word, sheker. False witness would be better translated a deceptive and betraying testimony. It is a testimony or a message about somebody else that is false. David said, 
one of the most bitter experiences he ever went through was having false witnesses against him. A Psalm 27, David says, Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies, because false witnesses have risen up against me, breathing out violence. In Psalm 35, Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. I suppose that Solomon, David's son, saw the damage that was done by lying, by false reports, false witnesses rising up against his father David, and even the deception that he saw in his father David. And so he wrote, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is a man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Now there's an old saying, like father, like son, chip off the old block. We who are God's children should reflect God's character. Only makes sense. If dad is honest and true and loving, dad's kids, Christians, should be honest and true, loving truth and hating falsehood. Or as Paul the Apostle puts it in Ephesians, be imitators of God as dear children. Because God's essential nature is truth, Christians' essential nature, more and more we ought to take on the character of truth. Just as the moon reflects the glory of the sun, we ought to reflect the glory of God in our own walks and our own lives. Folks, one of the most loving things you can do is to be honest. One of the most loving things you can do is to tell people the truth. Best example I know of is Jesus. He told people the truth when the truth was pleasant to hear and when the truth was not so pleasant to hear. But he told them the truth. He did it in a loving way. Sometimes it was a rebuking kind of a way, but it was still out of love. There were times, for instance, when the woman caught in adultery, sought repentance, and Jesus said, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Or to Peter, when he discovered that Jesus was the Messiah, and Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That was pleasant to hear. But Jesus spoke the truth when it wasn't so pleasant to hear. There were the religious leaders who were trying to trap Jesus in deception. And Jesus said, You hypocrites! You whitewashed tombs. You are full of dead men's bones and all corruption. You are of your father, the devil. That was true. And Jesus was incarnate love speaking the truth. He always thought upholding the truth was first and foremost. There may be times when you are called upon to stick up for the truth, even though the whole world goes against you. To stand up for what you believe is right and true, even though it's not popular. A great example in church history comes from the 4th century, a fellow by the name of Athanasius. Athanasius was one of the church leaders in Alexandria, Egypt. During the 4th century, a whole group of people infiltrated the church called Arians. These are not white supremacists. They followed a guy by the name of Arius who said there is no trinity, and they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not God. He's a created being. Athanasius took it upon himself as a mandate of God to stand up for the truth, even though it would be very unpopular, even though getting in such debates could cost him a lot of time, energy, and reputation. But he lived by standing up for the truth, 
In fact, he was quoted as saying, if the whole world goes against the truth, then Athanasius must go against the world. How much of a priority is speaking the truth to you? Standing up for the truth, saying, this is what happened. This is what I believe to be true. Especially when it comes to the gospel. Especially when it comes to heralding the truth before an unbelieving, gospel-rejecting world. Is it important to get the gospel out to you? It can be very unpopular. I say this especially to those of us who are teachers and preachers of the gospel. That we shouldn't say things to tickle people's ears so they go, oh, that was so well put. Oh, I like that. He patted me on the back. But to say the truth, sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's not. Philip Brooks, speaking to young pastors in the 1800s, says, If you are afraid of men and a slave to their opinion, go and do something else. Go make shoes to fit them. Go paint bad pictures that you know are bad but will suit their bad taste. But do not preach sermons that will not say what God sent you to declare. Knowing that God is truth and He loves it and He hates falsehood. Second thing we can infer from this commandment is not only the character of God loving truth and hating falsehood, but the credibility gap of man is seen in this verse. The credibility gap of man. There's a character flaw in man because of the fall of man. Years ago, in ancient China, the people of China wanted security, and so they built something called the Great Wall of China. I hear it's the only thing that's readily seen with the naked eye uh, from outer space I'm looking at the earth. You can see it on the continent. I've been to the Great Wall of China and I've been amazed at what I saw. They built it with a couple of objectives in mind. They wanted to make it high enough so people couldn't crawl over, long enough so people couldn't go around, and thick enough so people couldn't break through. They did it. Their security was achieved. One problem. Within the first hundred years, China was invaded three times. The invaders didn't go over the wall, around the wall, or through the wall, but they got in. Was the wall a failure? No. What was the problem? Human nature. You see, all that was done is the barbarians bribed a gatekeeper. And they went right through the gates of the Great Wall of China and they invaded it. The Chinese thinking, the flaw in their thinking, is that they put too much reliance on the structure of the wall and they didn't invest enough in the character of the gatekeeper. They didn't realize that man has basically fallen from the ideal that God intended. And we have a sinful nature and we can be tempted by riches and we can be tempted by bribes and we can be prone to falsehood. We mentioned at the beginning of this message that the authors of the article that I read and the test that they gave said that in their studies, they found that Americans found it hard to break the lying habit, like a person trying to break cigarette smoking. And that's because, though they wouldn't admit it, it's a secular study. Man created in the image of God has marred the image of God. We have a sin nature that has a bent toward falsehood. You never have to teach a child to do wrong or to manipulate. It comes naturally. Oh, they're cute. Oh, they, and they deceive in such cute ways. 
they'll say things like, oh, how can I deny it? The way they put it, I've just got to give it to them. The Scripture tells us, however, in Psalm 53, the wicked are estranged from the womb. We go astray as soon as born, speaking lies. It's part of the sinful nature of humanity. There's an article from the newspaper in Dallas, Texas. The newspaper is the Dallas Times-Herald. It says, On the way to school one day, a young man found two canvas sacks lying out in the street. When he looked inside, he was amazed to see that the sacks were full of money. $415,000, in fact. When he returned the money to the Princeton Armored Service, he received a reward of $1,000. The youth was unhappy, and he said that he expected a larger reward. I don't understand, he complained. If I had to do it again, I'd probably keep the money. How did we get so infected as a human race with the disease of falsehood and telling lies? Well, it's all the way back to the garden. I don't want to just say, it's the devil, the devil made me do it. But he did infect the human race causing Adam and Eve to fall and that sin nature has been passed down. And so we have a propensity toward falsehood. It's part of the old nature. It's part of the human nature before a person comes to Christ and even afterwards, it's still part of the old nature that the new nature has to fight against. He lied in the garden. Jesus called him the father of all lies. He comes to Eve in the garden. And when Eve says, well, God said we can't eat the fruit of the tree, Satan lied. God wouldn't say that. Why would God tell you something like that? And he started lying from the very beginning. Which means when we lie, we take to ourselves the personality of Satan. Listen to the words that Jesus spoke to religious leaders, those who should set examples of truth, the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's why Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied at the very beginning of the church of Jerusalem, he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to man, but you've lied to God. Now, because of man's propensity toward deception, Jewish law, in reading this commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness, set up an elaborate system to cultivate true witnesses in a court of law so that perjury wouldn't take place. And they had several criteria. Number one, you couldn't only have one witness. You had to have two witnesses or three witnesses. God established that. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. Secondly, the witnesses would be examined independently. Any contradiction in their testimony, both would be ousted as witnesses. Uh, thirdly, a person could only testify to what they've actually seen or heard. And a person went through rigorous testing and only certain kinds of people were included. Others were excluded. For instance, if a witness had been known to take money for his testimony... He was thrown out as a witness. Secondly, if he was related, even remotely, to anybody on trial, he was not a witness. Thirdly, if he was a dice player, 
the law said. A gambler or a moneylender, he was not considered a true and faithful witness. Not only that, but the Jewish law had stiff penalties for somebody who would bear false witness. If you were caught perjuring yourself in court, lying in court, you would either, A, get the same penalty that the guilty person would have gotten, or you'd get double. There's an actual case of a man who lied about somebody else. The punishment the criminal would have gotten was 40 lashes, 40 stripes, beaten 40 times. The false witness who lied got 80 stripes. The idea was, think twice before you say that you're a true witness. Now, I'd like to move on to the third and the final inference in this commandment, and that is the core issue, which is the integrity of people. It tells us about the character of God. He loves truth and hates falsehood. It tells us about the credibility gap of human beings. We're infected with falsehood. But the core issue is a matter of integrity. Let me define integrity. Integrity is simply being and doing what you say. Being and doing what you say. Saying with your tongue what you live with your life. Would you agree that your tongue gets you into more trouble than probably any other part of your body? In fact, James was right in his epistle when he said, The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. People have damaged integrity, defiled the truth in virtually every area of society by saying something and living very differently. From the courtroom to the bedroom to the boardroom, from the halls of justice, to the pulpits of our country. Integrity has been smashed because it's not always what you are on the outside but what that person is on the inside. We've all had tongue trouble. We've all lied. We've all had problems bearing false witness. There was a minister even in Boston walking down the street, saw a group of kids talking to each other. In the middle of the group was a stray dog. So the minister goes over and says, What are you kids up to? little kid looked up and said, we're telling lies to each other. And the kid who tells the biggest lie wins the dog. The minister folded his arms in shock and said, when I was your age, I never even ever thought of telling lies. And one of the kids said, I guess he wins the dog. <laughs> Happens to the best, doesn't it? Let's not be so naive or prideful to say, I've never broken this commandment. We've all broken this commandment. And we all need God's grace. You say, well, I never was in a courtroom and had my hand on the Bible and swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. This commandment has a lot more to deal with just giving testimony in a court of law. There are several ways this commandment can be broken. The first and obvious way is slander. Slander. Simply defined as a false report that is given to injure a person's reputation. You want to do all that you can for that person's reputation to be dismantled in the eyes of people who love or trust that person. And so you'll spread lies. That's slander. That's somebody with a good sense of rumor who just loves to see that person's name tarnished. And perhaps nothing hurts more than being slandered. Right? Misunderstood and then slandered. 
I think being slandered is worth, worse than having property stolen, having somebody break in your house. Because you can get robbed of material things and you can get them replaced, perhaps. But you can never get back a reputation once it's been tarnished and slandered by many, many people. Secondly, I think it's worse than murder. Uh, it takes your life. It's usually done quickly. There's a minimal amount of pain. It's over with. If you've had your character tarnished by slander, you can incur pain the rest of your life. Nothing hurts more. When we slander, we become just like Satan. For the Bible says he is the accuser or the slanderer of the brethren, and he accuses them before God day and night. In fact, the word devil, diabolos, means one who accuses and one who slanders. Remember in the book of Job? God says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job perfect and upright? There's none like him. Satan said in an accusing, slanderous manner, does Job serve you for nothing? He's serving you because of all the good things you give him. You've blessed him, but withhold your hand of blessing and he will curse you to your face. He slandered Job. Second way this commandment can be broken, exaggeration. Exaggeration. I think Americans are famous more than any other group for hyperbole, for explaining something in terms more than they really are. Exaggeration. We say things like, I'm starving to death. I say it all the time. I love food. And especially around third service Sunday morning, it's hard for me to think about anything else except lunch. And sometimes we explain the way we feel. I'm starving to death. Or, oh, I picked it up. It weighs a ton. Well, it doesn't really weigh a ton. And you're going to make it for the next meal. Don't worry about it. I even heard a waitress coming home this week. I was flying back to Albuquerque after some meetings. And she was talking about her nieces and nephews. And she said, I just love those kids to death. That's hyperbole. Those are harmless. And we usually say, ah, it's not a big deal. Those are harmless. But exaggeration can be dangerous. I've heard husbands say, she, my wife, never pays attention to me. Or he always does this and that. It is meant to dismantle his reputation and respect and his character. It can be dangerous. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Say it like it is. No more, no less. You know, I think testimonies are given toward exaggeration. I've heard Christians give testimonies for years. And I'm always interested in testimonies because especially people that I've heard their testimony time and time again, sometimes they're like fish stories. They seem to grow each time that they're told. You know, they seem to be more wicked before they came to Christ as the story goes on. You know, it goes from, oh, I had a joint one time and tried marijuana too. I had a $400 a day drug habit. And God delivered me. Well, maybe He should deliver you from lying. You should just say it like it is. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. C.S. Lewis said a little lie is like a little pregnancy. It doesn't take long before everybody knows about it. Now there's a third way this commandment can be broken and that is gossip. Gossip. I would say this is one of the greatest problems in the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it tail-bearing. Tail-bearing. That is telling something when you haven't investigated it fully. You've just heard about it. And it sounds so 
Luscious. Just got to make sure that a few more hear about it. I'll share my prayer request with a few others so they can be in on it as well. Solomon said, The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Martin Luther said, That kind of a lie is like a snowball. The more it's rolled around and around, the larger it becomes. And I've heard gossip about people where there's no unfounded, investigated truth, and it just gets worse every time that rumor continues to go around. How can you tell if it's gossip? Because somebody will say, well, it's just news. One of the ways that you can tell gossip or news is do you raise your voice or do you lower your voice when you tell it? Hey, well, I just want to tell you something between you and me. Well, why don't you tell everybody? And moreover, why don't you give your source and then allow yourself to be quoted? I will often say, thank you for telling me your name again. I'm going to quote you on the... Oh, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. If you're going to be bold enough to tell me what it is, I'll use you as a source. It's not just the speaking, it's the listening to the gossip. There wouldn't be so many open mouths if there weren't so many open ears. Oh, no, I haven't heard. Please tell me. Well, I should. No, no, it'll be all right. That can be a form of bearing false witness. Fourthly, flattery. Flattery is false praise. Flattery is giving compliments when you don't mean it. Why do you do it? Because you want to win favor. You want to perhaps manipulate eventually. Get something from that person. Have that person think well of you and so you'll gush out the compliments so that you'll win favor. I'm not speaking about encouragement. The church needs encouragement. We need the encouragement badly. There's not enough of it going around. I feel that the machinery of the church would run more smoothly if it were oiled by encouragement quite a bit. Flattery is different. It's something that you really don't mean to build that person up as much as you just want that person to like you, and so you'll gush out the compliments. You remember the show Leave it to Beaver, some of you. I won't have a show of hands. You'll date yourself. But I grew up watching either Leave it to Beaver or reruns of Leave it to Beaver. And uh, there was one character on there that always intrigued me. His name was Eddie Haskell. Eddie Haskell was your Class A flatterer. He would gush out the compliments even when he didn't mean them. They just sort of came out and eventually they were worthless. People didn't believe a word he said. He would see Mrs. Cleaver, June Cleaver. And if she was dressed in a nice dress or she was dressed in an apron with junk all over it, He would say, oh, Mrs. Cleaver, you look so beautiful today. And he would do that to everyone. And eventually, Wally and the Beave would say, "Uh, Eddie, just shut up. Because you couldn't trust the guy. It really wasn't founded on truth. The book of Proverbs tells us, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Paul, speaking about his own ministry to the Thessalonians, said, You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. Fifthly, this commandment can be broken by what we would call excuses or white lies. Little excuses so that we won't have to bear the consequences of something. It's the kind of things that students tell teachers when they haven't turned their uh, reports in on time or what we tell police officers who pull us over ready to give us a ticket. We'll think of all sorts of things. I didn't know I was going 125, officer, really. uh, 
Never done that before. Maybe you should get your car calibrated. I just had this calibrated. We're just trying to get out of the consequence. Peter tried that when Jesus was arrested. And they said, Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know him. He said that three times. He denied the Lord because he wanted to escape the consequences. A basic principle in all of this message would be capsulized by what Paul said to the Ephesians. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Another way to put that, a closed mouth gathers no feet. Be careful with what you say and make sure, do I feel that way? Is that what I think is the truth? As I compliment this person, do I really think that? As I share this, have I investigated that? Or is my tongue like a forest fire that's spreading, causing devastation along the way? Something we left out, and that is, how do you handle when somebody gives a false witness against you? Somebody spread a lie, a rumor, a slander. They've said something about you. You know it's not true, and you know they've said it. Well, the Bible says if you know who it is, you should go to the person and try to reconcile and so forth. But that doesn't mean that you go around and try to find every little rumor and try to rectify it. You spend a lifetime doing that. I like what one judge who was running for political office said. He was a man known for integrity, telling the truth. The opponent he was running against for political office was the opposite. He was a critic. He lied about the judge. Uh, he would uh, make up things about him. It was a mud-smearing, negative campaign. The campaign manager came to the judge and said, Do you hear the lies and the criticism this man is leveling against you? What are you going to do about it? The judge just put his head back and said, You know, when I was a boy, I had a dog. And when every full moon, that dog would bark and howl at the moon. We never did get much sleep on those nights. But you know, that moon just kept shining campaign manager said, what does that have to do with the campaign? I don't care about your dog. This man is leveling false accusations. What do you intend to do? He said, I'm going to be just like the moon. I'm going to keep on shining brightly, beautifully, consistently. Truth is its own best defense. Somebody says something about you and it's not true. So what? Can it destroy your reputation? Can it hurt? Yes. Should you try to reconcile? Yes. But just keep shining and living a life of integrity. Finally, we should close with this thought. Of all the lies that exist, the worst are eternal lies. And of the, all the truth that exists, the greatest truth is eternal truth. If you are wrong about the way to get to heaven, if somebody's fed you a line, it's the most damning lie that you can ever be involved in. There are a few truths that you ought to know this morning if you don't already. Number one, all men are sinners and have fallen from God's glory. Number two, we all need redemption. Number three, a man who refuses to repent when he knows the truth will be eternally lost. And number four, forgiveness is available and open to anyone who would say, I'm a sinner, I give my life to Jesus Christ to follow him. It will all be washed completely clean and you'll have everlasting life. Now, you can listen to lies that the enemy, through other people, through other sources, might bring your way. 
It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Hold off. You've got a long time to live. Decide later you're too young or whatever other lies are given. Make a decision now for truth. Father, we thank you for your truth. As Jesus said, your word is truth. We love you, Lord, for telling us exactly like it is. Telling us about our condition and telling us about your forgiveness. Even in the Bible, you tell us about the good things that your saints have done and the wicked things. You just expose everything. Help us, Lord, to come and live in the light. For in you there is light and there is no darkness at all. In Jesus' name, amen.